Chapter 9, Part 2 of The Many Sided Franklin by Paul Lester Ford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter 9 The Scientist, Part 2. These two most important discoveries of Franklin, as well as his minor experiments, were first made known to Europe by letters he wrote to Mr. Collinson. I thought it right. Franklin said in his autobiography, he should be informed of our success in using it, a glass tube, and wrote him several letters containing accounts of our experiments. He got them read in the Royal Society, where they were not at first thought worth so much notice as to be printed in their transactions. One paper which I wrote for Mr. Kinnersley on the sameness of lightning with electricity, I sent to Dr. Mitchell, an acquaintance of mine, and one of the members also of that society, who wrote me word that it had been read, but was laughed at by the connoisseurs. The papers, however, being shown to Dr. Fothergill, he thought them of too much value to be stifled, and advised the printing of them. Mr. Collinson then gave them to Cavet for publication in his Gentleman's Magazine, but he chose to print them separately in a pamphlet, and Dr. Fothersgill wrote the preface. Cavet, it seemed, judged rightly for his profit, for by the editions that arrived afterward, they swelled to a quarto in volume, which has had five editions and cost him nothing for copy money. What gave my book the more sudden and general celebrity was the success of one of its proposed experiments made by Messrs. Dalibard and Delore at Marley for drawing lightning from the clouds. This engaged the public attention everywhere. Monsieur Delore, who had an apparatus for experimental philosophy and lectured in that branch of science, undertook to repeat what he called the Philadelphia experiments, and after they were performed before the king and court, all the curious of Paris flocked to see them. I will not swell this narrative with an account of that capital experiment, nor of the infinite pleasure I received in the success of a similar one I made soon after with a kite at Philadelphia, as both are to be found in the histories of electricity. Dr. Wright, an English physician, when at Paris, wrote to a friend who was of the Royal Society an account of the high esteem my experiments were in among the learned abroad, and of their wonder that my writings had been so little noticed in England. The Society, on this, resumed the consideration of the letters that had been read to them, and the celebrated Dr. Watson drew up a summary account of them, and of all I had afterwards sent to England on the subject, which he accompanied with some praise of the writer. This summary was then printed in their transactions, and some members of the Society in London, particularly the very ingenious Mr. Canton, having verified the experiment of procuring lightning from the clouds by a pointed rod, and acquainting them with the success, they soon made me more than amends for the slight with which they had before treated me. Without my having made any application for that honor, they chose me a member, and voted that I should be excused the customary payments, which would have amounted to twenty-five guineas, and ever since have given me their transactions gratis. They also presented me with the gold medal of Sir Godfrey Copley for the year 1753, the delivery of which was accompanied by a very handsome speech of the President, Lord Macclesfield, wherein I was highly honored." Although the use of the lightning rod, or as it was then more often called, Franklin's rod, spread rapidly, 
there was a strong opposition at first to its employment john adams reports one wiseacre who as late as seventeen fifty eight quote, began to prate upon the presumption of philosophy in erecting iron rods to draw the lightning from the clouds his brains were in a ferment and he railed and foamed against those points and the presumption that erected them in language taken partly from scripture and partly from the disputes of tavern philosophy in as wild mad a manner as king lear raves against his daughter's disobedience and ingratitude and against the meanness of the storm in joining with his daughters against him in shakespeare's lear he talked of presuming upon God as Peter attempted to walk upon the water, attempting to control the artillery of heaven, an execution that mortal man can't stay. More publicly, the Reverend Thomas Prince, ignoring the fact that earthquakes had occurred before the erection of these safeguards, found in them the cause for the shock of 1755, and in a sermon urged that. Quote, the more points of iron are erected round the earth to draw the electrical substance out of the air the more the earth must needs be charged with it and therefore it seems worthy of consideration whether any part of the earth being fuller of this terrible substance may not be more exposed to more shocking earthquakes in boston are more erected than anywhere else in new england and boston seems to be the more dreadfully shaken oh there is no getting out of the mighty hand of god if we think to avoid it in the air we cannot in the earth yea it may grow more fatal so late as seventeen seventy it was maintained that as lightning is one of the means of punishing the sins of mankind and of warning them from the commission of sin it is impious to prevent its full execution there was a yet stranger controversy over this discovery long after the general principle had gained well-nigh universal acceptance a powder magazine in europe having been exploded by lightning the british board of ordnance requested the royal society to recommend the best method for preserving the arsenals at purfleet from such a danger the society appointed a committee of five of which franklin was one to prepare a report and they recommended franklin's system but from this one member benjamin wilson dissented so far as to advocate the use of blunt and not pointed ends to the rods the latter were adopted and wilson grown angry published two pamphlets so franklin states Quote, reflecting on the royal society the committee and myself with some asperity End quote. to this franklin made no reply for he explained i have never entered into any controversy in defence of my philosophical opinions i leave them to take their chance in the world if they are right truth and experience will support them if wrong they ought to be refuted and rejected disputes are apt to sour one's temper and disturb one's quiet i have no private interest in the reception of my inventions by the world having never made nor proposed to make the least profit by any of them his friend in Genhaus, however took up the controversy and was so franklin laughingly noted quote, as much heated about this one point as the jansenists and molinists are about the five end quote there the matter would no doubt have ended had not a new antagonist entered the field 
George III, having good cause to dislike Franklin's political opinions, sought to discredit his scientific ones by ordering the substitution of blunt for pointed ends on Kew Palace. Such was his desire to prove Franklin in error that he asked Sir John Pringle to give an opinion in favor of the change, only to receive a reply that, quote, the laws of nature were not changeable at royal pleasure, end quote. It was then intimated to him by the king's authority that a president of the Royal Society entertaining such an opinion ought to resign, and he resigned accordingly, at the same time being deprived of his position as physician to the queen, with all favor in court circles, so that he was forced to leave London and live in extreme poverty. Franklin, unwitting of the injury it had brought his friend, asserted that the king's action was, quote, a matter of small importance to me, adding, if I had a wish about it, it would be that he had rejected them altogether as ineffectual, for it is only since he thought himself and family safe from the thunder of heaven that he dared to use his own thunder in destroying his innocent subjects, End quote. However the court might side with the king, the wits did otherwise, and one of them produced an epigram well worth quotation. While you, great George, for safety hunt, and sharp conductors change for blunt, the nation's out of joint. Franklin a wiser course pursues, and all your thunder fearless views, by keeping to the point. End quote. It is interesting to compare this action of royalty with one of the earliest experiments or tricks in electricity which Franklin attempted, and which he described to Collinson in the following words. Quote, the magical picture is made thus. Having a large mezzotinto with a frame and glass, suppose of the king, God preserve him, take out the print and cut a panel out of it near two inches distant from the frame all round. If the cut is through the picture, it is not the worse. With thin paste or gum water, fix the border that is cut off on the inside of the glass pressing it smooth and close, then fill up the vacancy by gilding the glass well with leaf gold or brass. Gild likewise the inner edge of the back of the frame all around, except the top part, and form a communication between that gilding and the gilding behind the glass, then put in the board, and that side is finished. Turn up the glass and gild the foreside exactly over the back gilding, and when it is dry, cover it by pasting on the panel of the picture that hath been cut out, observing to bring the correspondent parts of the border and picture together, by which the picture will appear of a piece as at first, only part is behind the glass and part before. Hold the picture horizontally by the top and place a little movable gilt crown on the king's head. If now the picture be moderately electrified, and another person take hold of the frame with one hand, so that his fingers touch its inside gilding, and with the other hand endeavor to take off the crown, he will receive a terrible blow, and fail in the attempt. If the picture were highly charged, the consequence might perhaps be as fatal as that of high treason, for when the spark is taken through a choir of paper laid on the picture by means of a wire communication, it makes a fair hole through every sheet, that is, through forty-eight leaves, though a choir of paper is thought good armor against the push of a sword, or even against a pistol bullet, and the crack is exceedingly loud. 
the operator who holds the picture by the upper end where the inside of the frame is not gilt to prevent its falling feels nothing of the shock and may touch the face of the picture without danger which he pretends is a test of his loyalty if a ring of persons take the shock among them the experiment is called the conspirators it was in 1757 that Franklin's notice was attracted to the effect of oil on the stilling of waves. What served to excite his interest, he states, was observing in a convoy, quote, the wakes of two of the ships to be remarkably smooth, while all the others were ruffled by the wind, which blew fresh. Being puzzled with the differing appearance, I at last pointed it out to our captain and asked him the meaning of it. The cooks, said he, have, I suppose, been just emptying their greasy water through the scuppers, which has greased the sides of those ships a little, and this answer he gave me with an air of some little contempt as to a person ignorant of what everybody else knew. In my own mind, I at first slighted his solution, though I was not able to think of another. End quote. However unsatisfactory the explanation appeared to the inquirer, he was too instinctively the scientist, and was too well aware that the learned are apt to slight too much the knowledge of the vulgar, not to bear it in memory, and, quote, at length being at Chapham, where there is on the common a large pond, which I observed one day to be very rough with the wind, I fetched out a cruet of oil and dropped a little of it on the water. I saw it spread itself with surprising swiftness upon the surface, but the effect of smoothing the waves was not produced, for I had applied it first on the leeward side of the pond, where the waves were greatest, and the wind drove my oil back upon the shore. I then went to the windward side, where they began to form, and there the oil, though not more than a teaspoonful, produced an instant calm over a space several yards square, which spread amazingly and extended itself gradually till it reached the lee side, making all that quarter of the pond, perhaps half an acre, as smooth as a looking-glass. After this I contrived to take with me, whenever I went into the country, a little oil in the upper hollow joint of my bamboo cane, with which I might repeat the experiment, as opportunity should offer, and I found it constantly to succeed. End quote. His experiments, and especially one he made at Portsmouth during a gale, in the presence of some naval officers and members of the Royal Society, led to much discussion and served to spread the knowledge generally. It is a typical instance of the qualities of his mind that a casual incident and question were sufficient to set him investigating, and thus to bring to the attention of the learned a really important truth long known to more practical men. A very similar, though not so successful, an attempt to spread the knowledge that had been learned, not reasoned, was in his observations upon the mapping of the Gulf Stream. As early as 1745, he was puzzling why ships should have much shorter voyages from America to England than in returning, and wishing he had mathematics enough to satisfy myself that it was not in some degree owing to the diurnal motion of the earth. Quote, 
about the year seventeen sixty nine or seventeen seventy there was an application made by the board of customs at boston to the lords of the treasury in london complaining that the packets between falmouth and new york were generally a fortnight longer in their passages than merchant ships from london to rhode island and proposing that for the future they should be ordered to rhode island instead of new york being then concerned in the management of the american post office i happened to be consulted on the occasion and it appearing strange to me that there should be such a difference between the two places scarce a day's run asunder especially when the merchant ships are generally deeper laden and more weakly manned than the packets and had from london the whole length of the river and channel to run before they left the land of england while the packets had only to go from falmouth i could not but think the fact misunderstood or misrepresented there happened then to be in london a nantucket sea captain of my acquaintance to whom i communicated the affair he told me he believed the fact might be true but the difference was owing to this that the rhode island captains were acquainted with the gulf stream which those of the english packets were not we are well acquainted with that stream says he because in our pursuits of whales which keep near the sides of it but are not to be met with in it we run down along the sides and frequently cross it to change our side and in crossing it have sometimes met and spoke with those packets who were in the middle of it and stemming it we have informed them that they were stemming a current that was against them to the value of three miles an hour and advised them to cross it and get out of it but they were too wise to be counseled by simple American fishermen. When the winds are but light, he added, they are carried back by the current more than they are forwarded by the wind, and if the wind be good, the subtraction of seventy miles a day from their course is of some importance. I then observed it was a pity no notice was taken of this current upon the charts, and requested him to mark it out for me, which he readily complied with, adding directions for avoiding it in sailing from Europe to North America. I procured it to be engraved by order from the General Post Office on the old chart of the Atlantic at Mount and Pages, Tower Hill, and copies were sent down to Falmouth for the captains of the packets, who slighted it, however, end quote. With each crossing of the ocean that Franklin made after learning of this current, he kept a careful record of the temperature of the water, and from the resulting data concluded that, quote, a stranger may know when he is in the Gulf Stream by the warmth of the water, which is much greater than that of the water on each side of it, end quote. Not content with this, he ingeniously contrived as well to discover how deep the current extended. One service he rendered the scientific world less directly was something he did in 1779 at the request of his friend Sir Joseph Banks, then president of the Royal Society. The exploring expedition under Captain James Cook, whom Franklin had known personally in London, was then at sea, but owing to the condition of war between the United States and Great Britain, was liable to capture. To prevent this, Franklin, then in France, issued a printed notice to all captains and commanders of armed ships acting by commission from the Congress, which recommended most earnestly that, quote, in the case the said ship, which is now expected to be soon in the European seas on her return, should happen to fall into your hands, you would not consider her as an enemy, nor suffer any plunder to be made of the effects contained in her, nor obstruct her immediate return to England, the undertaking being truly 
laudable in itself as the increase of geographical knowledge facilitates the communication between distant nations in the exchange of useful products and manufactures and the extension of arts whereby the common enjoyments of human life are multiplied and augmented the science of other kinds increased to the benefit of mankind in general when the account of cook's voyage was printed at the expense of the english government the board of admiralty sent a copy of it to franklin with a letter from lord howe signifying that it was presented by direction of the king in recognition of franklin's action and one of the gold medals struck by the royal society in honor of cook was likewise given him such are his most important contributions to science which represent however only a small part of the investigations he conducted he first suggested that the aurora was an electrical phenomenon by means of little squares of different colored cloths laid on the snow in a bright sunshiny morning he demonstrated the different effect of color as to heat he studied and wrote upon sunspots shooting stars light heat fire air evaporation the tides rainfall geology the wind whirlwinds waterspouts ventilation sound and a universal fluid or ether he followed closely such mechanical developments as the balloon and the steamboat and even such minor ones as improvements in the methods of manufacturing air pumps guns wheels clocks etc there can be no doubt that franklin's greatest pleasure consisted in scientific research when he retired from active printing he said quote, i flattered myself that i had secured leisure during the rest of my life for philosophical studies and amusements End quote. when later political employment seized hold of him he wrote sighingly to priestley you judge rightly in supposing that i have not much time at present to consider philosophical matters End quote and a little later he complained to beccaria i find myself here immersed in affairs which absorb my attention and prevent my pursuing those studies in which i always found the highest satisfaction and i am now grown so old as hardly to hope for a return of that leisure and tranquillity so necessary for philosophical disquisitions during the revolution he assured the president of the royal society quote, that i long earnestly for a return to those peaceful times when i could sit down in sweet society with my english philosophical friends communicating to each other new discoveries and proposing improvements of old ones all tending to extend the power of man over matter avert or diminish the evils he is subject to or augment the number of his enjoyments much more happy should i be thus employed in your most desirable company than in that of all the grandees of the earth projecting plans of mischief however necessary they may be supposed for obtaining greater good besides carrying on his own studies franklin was never wanting in any assistance he could give to other inquirers and first or last he was in correspondence with almost every scientist of note on two continents in america even before he had made his name known by his discoveries he eagerly sought the friendship of the few men of scientific attainment such as john winthrop james bodwin jared elliot codwallader calden james logan and john bartram his lifelong friendships with sir william watson sir john pringle peter collinson and sir joseph banks have been referred to and he was equally intimate with sir william herschel 
and many other of his fellow members of the royal society which even the alienations of the revolutionary war did not interrupt and it is interesting to find erasmus darwin saying in a letter to him quote, whilst i am writing to the philosopher and a friend i can scarcely forget that i am also writing to the greatest statesman of the present or perhaps any century who spread the happy contagion of liberty among his countrymen and like the greatest man of all antiquity the leader of the jews delivered them from the house of bondage and the scourge of oppression his chief circle of friends in france were scientists guillotine lavoisier condorcet daubenton d'alembert leroy d'alibard and buffon but perhaps the pleasantest of all his scientific friendships to study are those he gave to far younger men and his advice and encouragement to david rittenhouse in philadelphia and joseph priestley in england bore fruit almost as important as his own labors you know the just esteem jefferson wrote which attached itself to dr franklin's science because he always endeavored to direct it to something useful in private life the chemists have not been attentive enough to this franklin himself asked what signifies philosophy that does not apply to some use end of chapter nine the scientist